Hello and welcome to All Points in Between, a show about the ups and the downs of travelling. I'm Martin Fletcher. This is our second episode and this week I have on another one of my friends who again is far too polite to say no to me. It's Matt Bond. Hello. Hi Matt. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode. This one is a little different to the previous episode in that it's a bit more scripted. Um, I was mentioning to you before the show that I'm trying to have a few different styles for these episodes just to see what works well. And I've picked you for today's episode because anybody who's read the episode title will know we're talking about culture shock and Paris syndrome. And I thought, out of my friends, you're particularly well qualified to talk about this just because you do actually have a wife from Paris. So you can perhaps give me a bit of an insight on that side of things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I'm happy to be to join as a as an expert on disappointment with uh, with traveling. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, po- possibly one of my less traveling friends. Really, you live in Hampshire and tend to, particularly since COVID time, live within a bit of a bubble of your house a lot of the time. But yeah, you've certainly been on the road previously and had had some experiences. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've got the the perfect mix of actually going to Paris a lot. I, I tend to go there every every few times a year, and also having been to Japan, I, I can kind of see the, the the Japanese perspective on Paris as well from there. So yeah, I'm happy to weigh in and see if I can give you some nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, um, well, probably a bit more than I do. I've been to Paris once for about two days, and to be fair, I do resonate a lot with some of the points that we'll be talking about in terms of the syndrome. (laughs) Good stuff. In 1986, a Japanese doctor working in Paris named Hiroaki Ota, which I've probably absolutely murdered the pronunciation of, he began noticing a strange condition among some of his compatriots who were visiting the city. Japanese tourists, they were presenting at hospitals and complaining about symptoms including anxiety, dizziness, heavy sweating, vomiting. In particularly extreme cases, people did actually need to be repatriated to Japan after suffering these debilitating hallucinations. The illness, which he did name Paris Syndrome, wasn't caused by any infection or physical disorder or indeed absence. Rather, it was an extremely severe form of this phenomenon that's known as culture shock, which I think quite a lot of people who've travelled around will have come across at various times. But this was so common that the Japanese embassy has actually set up a hotline, which is still live now for visitors who experience it. So, wow. So, so on the hotline, how do they help you if you're vomiting? I'm not sure. Possibly just <laughs> listening while you vomit. I think it's quite hard to use a phone and vomit at the same time. Maybe you just maybe have to the, do it in the gaps. Maybe they're making like sympathetic noises. You know, I think I think you're done now. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Send around a special embassy person to hold your hair back while it's <laughs> Gosh. I think. I think I'd be more concerned about trying to phone somebody up while having a debilitating hallucination, personally. 
Yeah, does it say what the hallucinations were? What were they seeing? I couldn't find anything in any of the articles I was reading about that. I imagine it was more just swirling colours and maybe fuzzy vision as opposed yeah. to, you know, seeing yeah. pink hippopotamuses parading up the Champs-Élysées. But, but I'm going to believe that it is more the pink hippopotamuses side of things just because it's a bit more fun that way. When in doubt, I think that's the best option to go with, yeah. I, I would certainly agree. And Paris Syndrome, it's not unique for having a culture shock syndrome named after it. There are other cities that have similar terms. So some visitors to Florence, they'll report symptoms that are similar to Paris Syndrome. So the dizziness, the vomiting, hallucinations... But one that I found particularly interesting was that every year, several unfortunate visitors to Jerusalem, they succumb to a condition named after that city, where they start spontaneously believing that they're the Messiah. Oh, God. That's the last thing that Jerusalem needs, isn't it? Yes, more messiahs. (laughs) Because the ones that have gone in the past have worked really well for that city. It, It seems like a place that is on top of its problems. Wow. Although I'm not sure whether that one is culture shock. I was having a bit of a think about this, and I think the sort of people who might be susceptible to that are probably a little bit more linked to the sorts of vulnerabilities that you might have if you are susceptible to things like conspiracy theories. It Mm. feels to me more like this notion of main character syndrome where you try and put yourself at the centre of a big conspiracy or, in this case, you start thinking that you're the messiah. Yeah, perhaps more along that lines than along the culture shock that we're talking about with some of the other syndromes. Yeah, it's not really in the same league as disappointment with croissants, really, is it? Not really. It's kind of its own thing i did find a few interesting pictures of people and they people who are suffering from jerusalem syndrome they do tend to look like they've not washed and grown out a beard so the version of culture shock associated with paris it's particularly prominent among visitors from outside europe paris as a million films you pretend to like on a first date will tell you is the city of light Everybody looks like they've just stepped out of a perfume advert. They spend the time bicycling between patisseries where they smoke cigarettes from long sticks and sigh over their latest love triangle, which I, <laughs> which certainly from my experience there and I imagine yours is a little bit different to the reality. <laughs> There's more mopeds in the reality. I don't think it's a, it's a bicycle thing. It's more like, you know, exhaust fumes and uh, <clears throat> people in a hurry. I found when I was there, it was those annoying electric scooters you get in a lot of cities. Yeah. Everywhere. To, yeah. Yeah, trying to run you over. I never really realised why everybody shoots around on those, but I did give one of them a go in Paris. And it turns out they charge you for the amount of time you spend riding rather than distance travelled. So it does encourage you to ride around like Valentino Rossi. Yeah, gosh, it's an interesting incentive. 
it's it's also a bit dirtier than you might expect. I mean, it's a city, you know. I think I think part of the problem is having been to Japan, it's very ordered and clean, and I can imagine them not really expecting that. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, for these starry-eyed tourists who come to the city with dreams and amore, these are smashed like Mercedes in Underpass the first time they visit a Parisian waiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was quite proud of that line as well. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know if I'll need to cut it. (laughs) Possibly. Depends on how many royalists we have listening. (laughs) But compound that with the immense disappointment of having travelled to the far side of the planet and you find yourself then stood in this overcrowded park watching hundreds of people who all think it's really fun and original to pose with your finger perched on top of the Eiffel Tower like it makes you look like you're taller than the Eiffel Tower and I bet nobody's ever thought of doing that except for the other 50 people doing it right at this second and every second of every hour of every day it's no wonder some people do decide to take a short holiday from their sanity in those circumstances yeah, and I think you deserve a medal if you get out of it without firing one of those little metal Eiffel Towers, because they're absolutely everywhere. I, I mean, literally. I I managed to get away from Paris without buying one of those, but I think it's possibly with living in a motorhome, and I've got to be very tight on what souvenirs I pick up, which is why I got myself a glow-in-the-dark Virgin Mary when I was visiting Lords, because I just think that makes the band pretty classy. I don't think anyone can pass on that. Oh, absolutely not. It's it's gloriously tacky. Far more than a little metal Eiffel Tower. <laughs> so this phenomenon, it interests me because I do spend a lot of time travelling and there are certainly places where I have found the location and the culture more jarring than others. And One of my own personal mini Paris syndromes is the panic that comes over me when I'm visiting a place where you're expected to haggle over the price of things. In these cases, every English argument-avoiding instinct in my brain just screams at me when I try and do it. My tongue, it feels like it grows to three times its normal size. My throat closes up and what really should come out as the phrase, I'll give you 50 lecky and no more. It comes out as a bit of a panicked squeak and a half-hearted wave of a banknote. So I do end up getting overcharged in a lot of places just for not being able to have proper arguments with people. (laughs) Kind of links back to what I was talking about in the previous episode, really, and my susceptibility to being conned that I that I'm not very good at stoking conflict in situations where I really ought to in some cases. Yeah, I think that's a British thing. I mean, I I know, especially in places like France, people can be really direct. And I mean, it's kind of refreshing in some ways, but it also does make it hard for us because we have our natural British inclination to not want to to stir the waves or anything. (laughs) Yeah, and I think perhaps with a city like Paris, because culture in a lot of those east asian countries is perhaps to be a bit more reserved and not very direct and Mm. so perhaps there is also an issue with that directness that can be a little bit shocking if you don't 
come across it that often. Yeah. There has been a lot written over the years on handling culture shock. And in my own case, it really comes down to trying not to overthink things. Just trying to enjoy the differences in a place and trying to make it a bit of an interesting story or perhaps even a podcast episode later. Practice does make perfect with that, I find. Just going to different places and trying to accept them for what they are, not have any overly optimistic expectations of places, really. That's the key. That really is. And I think in cases like Paris Syndrome, it, the best way to manage it is just that expectation management. So cities, particularly capitals, they do often share similarities. They will be dirty and busy and traffic congested. They're probably also reviled by the rest of the country in which they sit. And <laughs> you will have somebody's armpit thrust into your face on the metro. You'll have some awful overpriced microwave food foisted on you in the in the Latin quarter. And your hostel dorm will have at least one loudly snoring man who seems to sleep for about 23 hours a day. I do think every hostel has someone who's probably about 20 or 30 years older. And it's kind of like the, the grandfather or grandmother, I suppose, of the hostel. Uh, we, we had one guy, I, I swear he was actually polishing his feet in the morning. I, I didn't ask why, but it was, it, was, it was an interesting thing to be doing in a shared dorm room with about eight other people. Polishing feet? <laughs> Yeah, he had a sort of brush and he was sort of like just brushing them up. I don't know. I mean, it was obviously, you know, something he liked to do. And that's one of, it's one of the things you sort of, yeah, you sort of expect to get when you're in a dorm, I guess. Yeah. Well, I suppose at least he wasn't cracking the pumice stone in. <laughs> that would probably be a bit worse, just having flakes of foot parmesan all over the <laughs> mattresses everywhere. Well, you have to check with our friend Adam on this, but I'm fairly sure that's what he woke up to. So, <laughs> What, just a dusting of it? Oh, I think I've got some dandruff today. Oh, good heavens. Yeah, it's just an old German man. So, in essence, responding to this culture shock and things like Paris Syndrome, it's a bit like most aspects of my life. Set your expectations low assume things are going to turn out dreadfully, but then do it anyway, then anything above god-awful will be a bonus, which is probably why I've loved most of the places that I've been to visit in the past. Alternatively, just make sure that you've got that phone number for the Japanese embassy on speed dial. <laughs> I can pull a, a nice reversal on this one, actually, because um, when, I, when I flew out to Japan, I was only there for about 12 days, and it had taken so long to me to negotiate with my boss to get the time off. I was on an earlier flight than the rest of the people I was traveling with. So I arrived in the airport, having barely slept on the flight and barely eaten as well. It was one of those overnight flights where for some reason they decided that there wasn't any reason for you to eat. Um, I arrived at the airport, starving, hungry, exhausted. My bank card stopped working. And I realized I was the only non-Japanese person in, in the whole uh, airport. I mean, I, I don't know if it was a thing because it was early in the morning or or, or or what, but it was very interesting because all of a sudden I had this distinct feeling that I was an outsider. You know, I, I, I wasn't actually 
part of the community that I was in. It was it was very 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 interesting, and people were going around wearing masks, which is this is pre COVID. So I was like, oh okay, this is interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's certainly something we've all got a bit more used to over the last couple of years. But imagine, well, you probably cut quite a striking figure in Japan as well, because you are <laughs> certainly a larger guy, very pale skinned. Yeah. You yeah, it was. <laughs> I was sort of like a yeah, big giant wandering around aimlessly, trying, trying to find somewhere to sleep. Um in the in the end, though, I actually I, I didn't have the the Japanese embassy to call upon, so I, I rented a small room, uh, which is a really cool thing that they do over there, where you can rent these rooms, and they basically just contain a chair and a box of tissues. Now I don't know why they normally contain that, but <laughs> I think there's a excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting arrangement, but for me it was perfect because it gave me a chance to actually get some sleep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and other activities, I'm presuming. <laughs> no, 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 fortunately not. <laughs> mm. So you basically arrive at the airport, everybody's like, oh my God, it's Godzilla. And so then yeah. you just go and hide in a room until everybody else shows up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's the natural response, right? Just go and find a cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's Well, my van basically plays that role for me. When I'm driving around, it's where I go and hide when a place gets a bit overwhelming. Yeah, like I say, I, I didn't have any money, didn't, I didn't know anybody. I was hungry, I was tired, I was thirsty. And <laughs> it was interesting how quickly you can end up in that situation. And um, Yeah, you are definitely a guy who can get a bit hangry when you haven't had <laughs> anything, can't you? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah haven't had a lot of culture shock in particular while I've been traveling in the van these last few years just because the nature of the travel means that I end up traveling around mostly western countries but I've really noticed it particularly in this last week or so um traveling around Morocco and have been going around West Africa more generally over the last few months and as we're recording this, Ramadan started a few days ago, which is quite a different experience for me. Obviously, there's no expectation on me personally to be fasting, but there is a need to be discreet about things. So if I do want a swig of water or a cigarette or something like that i need to really make sure that i'm somewhere where i'm not in view of people because it's even though i'm not fasting myself it is quite frowned upon to be seen to be doing those things which i suppose i can understand in a way because yeah i well i would also be pretty hangry i imagine if i was trying to do something like that it's a really impressive feat if you think about it. I mean, to not drink any water in hot countries for the whole day, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I could do that. Oh, it's amazing. I, I don't know how they do it in particularly when Ramadan falls in the middle of summer. Um, mm. It's long days, absolutely roasting hot. Yeah, mm. I, one, of the, one of the things I would love to do an episode on at some point is on the subject of traveling in the Islamic world during Ramadan. But I think me and my current bench of people, so you, Roy, were 
probably a little bit unqualified really to talk about it with any degree of expertise. So I might have to wait on that one until I can find somebody to talk to who has a bit more experience of the whole thing and, you know, actually doing the fasting. But it is it is just a little bit jarring for somebody who's not from that background, really. Yesterday, I did end up getting shouted at by a guy on a motorbike while I was trying to have a crafty vape on a street corner where I thought nobody was looking. <laughs> and so alcohol isn't illegal in, a, in Morocco, but it is fairly hard to come by. It's quite heavily taxed. And during Ramadan, just all the shops that sell alcohol close completely for the month. There's a few bars where you can still go get a drink if you are kind of a European, but the bars themselves, they, they look a bit like the like bookies and betting shops back in the UK. They're all kind of frosted windows and you can't really see what's going on inside there. And it's often a little bit difficult to even work out if they're open. So I've just been one, well, last night I was wandering around with bats just testing doors <laughs> until I... <laughs> My my God, I've not had alcohol in two days. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did manage to find somewhere in the end. And just beyond that, while I've been on this bit of the trip, I was discussing this with Roy while we were traveling together, actually, um, particularly when we were in Mauritania. It, we were just asking each other what, what the people really do for fun here because even in the large cities it feels as though the main activities for recreation really are going for a walk or sitting in the park having a meal going to a tea shop they're all the kinds of activities that you did used to tell your parents you were doing when you were 15 but Actually, you were going to go sit under the pier with a big bottle of cheap cider and throw rocks at seagulls. <laughs> and I think that's, in fact, that's probably why I do struggle to comprehend it. Just because coming from the UK and Europe more generally, it is a region where most of those social situations, they are lubricated with alcohol. So a lot of the activities that people do for fun around here feel like the sort of things that you wouldn't really do back home unless you were doing them while having a drink mm. yeah i think i think they do have a lot more like tea shops and dessert places and that sort of thing i think that's that's one way that, that they, they but you you're right it's not not the same it's, it's a very different sort of atmosphere yeah and the tea here is just something else it comes in these tiny little glasses that hold, I don't know, maybe half a cup that you'd have back home, but it just comes out with this brick of sugar that you basically put in the glass and pour over it. It's like diabetes in a glass. I like <laughs> it. Wakes you up in the morning. I think one of the other things that some people do go out and do is watching football, which links in quite nicely with what I spend quite a lot of my time doing when I'm back in the UK now. But I went to this game when I was in Mauritania. It was a Mauritania Premier League match in, in the capital city. 
and there were fans there there were flags and rooms and it, it was really good fun but I swear I was the oldest person there by about 20 years or so. I think there was basically me and the referee were the only people in the place who could actually grow facial hair. <laughs> I think it's it's probably largely down to the fact that I don't speak the language here. and I don't really have any friends who live in Morocco, so it might just be that it's a bit tough as an outsider looking into really get a grasp on what it is that's going on and you know what people are actually going out and doing in the evenings yeah i think there's a lot of like underground culture and you know once you know people then you're sort of in part of it and you know especially in lots of the muslim world where there are restrictions or you know lots of because i think the other interesting thing is lots of these countries have much younger population as a whole than we do yeah yeah and it probably just skews the sort of activities that people are into so yeah I, I think i've probably got one one last story from my side on on disappointment um and it's it's actually one that involves you so maybe you, you can you can add in some color to this one as well oh um, i disappoint everybody i mean <laughs> well you own the disappointment mine but it was definitely a it was definitely an interesting one because um a few years ago we, we'd always talked about having a, a mystery trip as a group of as a, as a group of us um and i I had a, an idea for a trip and I, I honestly don't think, I didn't think you'd be interested. So I said, Oh, I don't want to say I, I, I'll keep it as a mystery, which was probably the, the, the best possible way I could get you all immediately interested in this trip. Um, so yeah, it, it, it became a thing. And, um, and we booked our flights to the mysterious destination of Switzerland uh, because as Martin said earlier, I'm not the most adventurous of uh, travelers. There we go. Um, but I discovered that you could do a free tour of the CERN Hadron Collider and um, they take you around, you'd see the universe is being created and some black holes and, you know, the end of the world and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we decamped down to Geneva and um, I mean, how did you feel, Martin, when, when, when we arrived there? What were your thoughts? I think. I think we all felt that you had just talked us into going to CERN. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, and yeah, it is certainly not somewhere that I think any of us would have put at the top of our list, particularly because this was when we were in our early 20s and were, well, certainly I was a lot poorer and Switzerland is not a country for poor people to go to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I, 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 yeah. I think you immediately discovered why I was keeping it a, a, a secret originally. That I wanted to go there. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, in in hindsight, we probably all should have known that a Matt's mystery trip was going to be something along those lines. I think it's something that we do need to resurrect at some point. Our group mystery trips. Yeah, I, I, I've got another destination actually. So, so there we go. Oh no, 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 not not you, <laughs> not you. You you've had your chance and you blew it. I was sat sat in this restaurant there eating this plate of pasta. I think you guys were all having fondue. And I'm just like, I, I don't have the money to be spending on that. And so I just got this pasta and tomato sauce that still cost about £15. Yeah, I, I have to say, uh, when when you're in those sorts of situations, you may as well just go all in, in my view. I always just say, you know, let's get the fondue or whatever. Um 
but yeah, it was good fun. It was good fun. Uh, maybe not so much the CERN bit. Um, it was mostly like going to a sort of combination of an office and a science museum. Um, we were sort of going around seeing the scientists in action on their computer screens, uh, writing code and stuff, I think. Probably doing stuff like that. Well, I think we managed to give the people of Geneva a bit of their own version of culture shock when you and Adam got into a fight on the tram. <laughs> well, not quite a fight, just a raging argument with one another. <laughs> and, I think yeah, that, that the... was the day. I, I was that was the final part of me persuading you that CERN really was worth visiting and um, meeting some resistance there. Um, but yeah, it, it the thing is, I, I feel I've been somewhat vindicated because just just recently I was watching a film, right. Um, it was about a, a timeless genie, 3,000 years of longing or something like that. It's about a timeless genie, and he's going around the world, visiting all of the main sites. Now, where's the first place he goes? I don't know, but I can have a bit of a guess at the answer. <laughs> he goes to CERN. But he, yeah. but unlike us, he goes to the actual proper you know, machine thing that we weren't allowed to see because it was too dangerous and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, yeah. I, I feel that kind of vindicates me a little bit. If, yeah, if it's it, good enough we... for Idris Elba. Oh, okay, it's Idris. Yeah, oh no, I've not heard of this show at all. But mm. yeah, I think it probably would have been a bit more fun if, because I, I think we were all under the impression that we were going to get to go down to the Collider itself and actually go exactly. and see it. But because it was actually up and running and they were doing experiments with it, which I don't think they actually end up doing all that often. Um, it was just unfortunate, the timing that we were there, but you couldn't actually go down and see it, having gone all the way to Geneva. Although you did take me to an ice hockey match, so yeah, you did do a bit of a Martin portion of the trip. Oh yeah, I remember that as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they won, if I remember rightly, so... That was okay. So I think that pretty much covers off what I wanted to talk about here. In terms of culture shock, as we've been saying there, I think the main point in terms of managing it is, well, firstly, expectation management, perhaps not trying to build things up too much more in your head than things could ever actually be in reality. In terms of this show and get in touch you can email us so i've set up an email address allpointspod at gmail.com and there is a twitter as well where i sometimes post up a few travel photos and try and well try and fail to enter photo competitions that one is at allpointscast for reasons that i explained in the previous episode that the all points podcast won't let me have the Twitter handle. Very rude about it. Can you at really least share it? You know, just take it in turns. I think that would. I think it might be a bit jarring for the listeners, as I mentioned in the last episode. <laughs> were somewhat different. Oh yeah, in our oh, theme. yeah. I remember. <laughs> we're somewhat different in our themes. My plan is that when is that when we get big enough, we'll do a bit like Budweiser did to that Czech brewery that was also called Budweiser, and then just try and take them over. But we'll have to see how we go with that. But yeah, thank you very much, Matt, for being on. Is there anything that you particularly want to plug? I don't think there is. I think I'm, yeah, I am plugless. 
Yes, you are a black box of um, yes. of a human being. Which is if, part... if you want to hear from me, scream into the void, and and you might get an answer. It is part of the reason why I like having you on. You are my ingenue or my blank slate that I can <laughs> project all of my all of my thoughts and ramblings onto. So I'll definitely be having you back. Good stuff. Good stuff. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you very much. That will do us. Episodes are going to be coming out about once every fortnight or so. So I'll speak to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.